0: Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to the copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. You're now tuned to the sounds of Maximum FM.ca and your preferred podcast player of choice. It is your man DM Cool. And welcome to Cool Radio. What we do is you can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Hold up, why them haters mad? stopping us. Ain't no topping us. They be watching us. We so
1: prosperous.
0: Ain't no stopping us. Ain't no topping us. They be watching us. We so prosperous. Ooh. Oh, you didn't know. Your ass better call somebody. Indeed, indeed. Tell a friend, tell a friend that we're live on the airwaves. Thank you guys for tuning in, as you always do. Welcome to the show. Uh, Once again, this week I will be handling it on the solo dolo tip, but fret not, we have plenty to discuss tonight. And our itinerary for tonight's festivities include Nas talking about how he had a potential collaboration with Prince on the table. Meek Mill's 2008 conviction being overturned by a Philadelphia judge And Chris Brown and Drake dropping visuals to the record, no guidance We will be discussing that later on in the show Of course we have our wanks of the week And we have the main topic of tonight's evening Which I'll get to a little bit in a moment But before we get to all that You already know what we gotta get into, man I got some stuff to get off my chest So with that being said It is time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. So, you know, as a music lover and what have you, I have passionate discussions with not only you, the people who listen and watch, but also just with my core group of friends about who we like, who we think is the best in today's era, and things of that nature. You know, barbershop talk, essentially. And often enough... We've had a discussion of who's the best MC of all time, and and you already know how that goes. From time to time, however, we often say we often say who should be included in that discussion. Maybe not as the very best or top five or whatever the case may be, but at least a part of the conversation. Someone who deserves consideration. And I say you, I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, cool cats, cool kittens, I say that Kendrick Lamar. Duckworth should be a part of the GOAT conversation. Let's talk about this, because I think he deserves some serious consideration. Now, I'm sure there's going to be some people listening or watching, especially the older heads, be like, oh, you see, you millennials, y'all know about that real hip-hop. Y'all know about KRS-One, the Big Daddy came." Chill, fam, chill. It's not even about that. I'm not saying that Kendrick is the greatest. I'm just saying that he has done enough within his career up until this point that he deserves some recognition as being a part of that GOAT discussion. Let's get into details with it. Kendrick Lamar started his career as a rapper in 2009. He dropped a few mixtapes at the Kendrick Lamar EP, Overly Dedicated, during that time span. And it wasn't until 2011 when he dropped his debut album, his real debut album, Section 80, which was released independently, directly through Top Dog Entertainment. And that album had a lot of people talking. It had people saying how this guy guy or a kid could potentially revive the West Coast rap scene. It's to the point where by the time this album dropped, he already had the ear of Dr. Dre. He even set it on a record on that album. And that year that it dropped, he was already doing collaborations with so many people. He was doing collaborations with The Game. He had an appearance on Drake's Take Care album. He was mixing it up with a lot of the top rappers of that time period. And on top of that, Section 80 was widely regarded as the best hip-hop album of 2011, mainstream or underground. It was in that upper echelon of albums. So there's that. And then you have Good Kid, Mad City, an album that shook hip-hop to its core, to its very core, to the point where this album was the first classic Of this current generation or decade. So from 2010 up until now. It is the first album to be regarded as a classic by a new artist. Not to mention... This album gained so much recognition as far as critical acclaim is concerned, being nominated for a bevy of awards, whether it be AMAs, Grammys, Billboard, etc., etc. It was being nominated for everything. And it got robbed a couple of times as well, but we won't get into that. But nonetheless, it got nominated for so many different things, and it sold well. It didn't have a number one single, but it sold well on the charts. and It's one of those few times where you have an artist who has a lot of critical a lot of critical acclaim but also has the commercial success to pair up with it as well that is that is i would say the holy trinity. but you need one more point to put on top of that but you got you understand what i'm trying to say and it forced people to really listen to rap nowadays within this current generation and say hey you can still be creative and still sell a lot of records all at the same time. And not to say that as contemporaries weren't doing that, like a Wale or a J. Cole, because they were definitely selling their fair share of records, but to have this much critical acclaim attached to it, to have that much amount of creativity put into it, because let's be honest, that was a concept album. It was a short film that was done by way of audiobooks in a sense. Like It lasted for just under an hour, basically, and it took you through the, life, the day in the life of a kid from Compton. And it's very similar to Big Crit's, uh, what was that? I think it was called Forever and a Day, that mixtape that he dropped, ironically, the same year as well. But nonetheless, we already know how the story goes. He takes us through a day in the life of him being in Compton with one particular day where he's riding around with his homies doing you know, ignorant stuff that teenage boys may often get themselves into. He gets into trouble because of a woman. He gets beat up. They take retaliation. One of their own gets gunned down. And he's going through all the mixes and the motions of what transpired throughout that day, essentially. So the way that he used the skits that were interwoven within within the, the, the tracks, the way he was able to use foreshadowing, like his use of foreshadowing was excellent. And he had so much attention to detail placed onto that album so that when you listen to a particular line... Or a particular segment of the album, it takes you back to what was said on a previous record. It's almost like watching uh, um, an MCU movie and then realizing, oh, he said something that was referred back to a, in, into another movie. So again, he heightened our attention to detail in that regard. So there's that album. That album was regarded as like the Illmatic of this generation as well. So it doesn't get much more praiseworthy than that. Then you had to, to pimp a butterfly, and yes, it's it still garnered critical acclaim and still sold a lot. But I felt like there was a divide in terms of people who really liked it and said, yes, another solid effort from Kendrick Lamar. But then there's a segment of people who said they respect it, but they wanted another good kid Matt city. So in a sense, I call that his version of it was written because it was written. It was a solid album, but people were mixed on it because they wanted another Illmatic. But either way. His use of instrumentation on that album, as far as using uh, jazz and funk and soul and interwoven that into all the records that he put, they put out within within that within that project, it was masterfully done. And then the subject matter uh, w- had to do a lot with. What's like to be black in America, and what's almost like to be black overseas to a certain context as well. He also talked about narratives that that, that larken back to uh, Good Kid, mess City, as far as confronting uh, the person who killed one of his friends, and how he uses girlfriend as a way to vindicate himself of of that death. How he dealt with you know survivor's guilt as far as. Being someone who came out of the hood and made so much money, still having a few hood tendencies and still wanting to bring people out from the hood, but they weren't ready to be brought out of that environment yet. He talked a lot about the, the conflicting natures that he was going through. He even talked about contemplating suicide at one point in time and going through a deep depression, which is something that is now being a talking point within hip-hop. And I feel like that album was one of the launching points of that discussion within hip-hop. So you have that album. And then you have Damn arguably his best album to date because i felt like he took the good parts of good kid mad city as far as the raw aggression he took the conceptuality of both good kid mad city and to pimple butterfly and combined it into one and usually on your third fourth album you start to get a little complacent but he was more hungry than he's ever been arguably on that album not to mention he told two stories at once and mainly when you listen to that album it all comes down to choices. If you choose option A, this is how your life is going to end up and these are and this is the and this is the fruit that you'll have to bear if you choose this one choice. You choose option B, and this is how your life is going to turn out. So, whatever path you want to walk, walk it, but know that at the end of that path, this is what will happen. And so we saw one path where Kendrick Lamar became the successful rapper that he was destined to be by making the right choices in life. But then if you listen to that album backwards, so from back to front, you realize that he made a choice that basically did not end up with him being a successful rapper. Instead, it ended up with him being just another black man in America who unfortunately lost his life early due to gun violence. I mean, when I first found that out, like listening for myself, I lost my absolute shit. I had to call my man Akil. Shout out to my boy Akil. I had to call him and be like, yo, I figured out the album. I figured it out, son. But anyways, it was it was a great piece of work. And then even his work on on what's it called of uh, the the untitled album, like a whole bunch of B-sides, his rendition of the lost tapes essentially. That was better than half of the albums that came out that year anyway. And then you also had him curating the original soundtrack to Black Panther, which was arguably the biggest movie of last year from a commercial standpoint, critical standpoint, and from a conversational standpoint. And he was the architect behind it. He was the one who gathered the artists. He organized it the way he wanted to. And he basically told the story of Black Panther without spoiling the movie, because it came out a week before the movie did. And he told the story, just very vaguely, but it kind of gave you a prelude into what may happen within the film, but without giving away any spoilers. And then when you watch the film and then you listen to the album, you understand it a lot better. You're not just listening to it for the jams and the singles. You're listening to it because he's telling a story. He's telling two sides of the coin. He's telling one side of T'Challa and one side of Killmonger. And now even though they're coming from opposite viewpoints, they share many conflicting similarities that kind of join them into one being. And then you see that play out in the film as well. So, again, it just goes back to his attention to detail when it comes to creating concepts and narratives and how he sticks to the script consistently without any plot holes whatsoever. This is what makes Kendrick Lamar a very rare talent in hip-hop, a very special one, and a -a once-in-a-generational talent as well. Adding to the fact that he knows how to use his voice as, as an instrument, knowing how to switch up the flows when needed, not one album or song sounds the same from Kendrick Lamar on a single project or on many projects going forward. So I think these are just some of the reasons why he should at least be included in this GOAT conversation. And above all else, he's the only rapper that I can think of who has put out four albums in a row that have been at least, at the very least, above average. I've never once heard someone say that he put out a whack album or an okay album. A good album at the very least. But every album that he's put out, in terms of official documentation as far as critics and blogs and what have you, have been given him critical appraise. A couple of them you could debate that they are superior albums, but they weren't necessarily classic. But I think at the very least he has two classic albums under his belt. And I would say that it would be Good Kid Mass City and Damn. Like Those would be his two instant classics. I think... Section 80 is more of like a like a cult classic if you're like a diehard Kendrick Lamar fan. Whereas to Pimper Butterfly, I personally think that's classic, but I think it's a classic that has to grow over time in order for people to appreciate it because it wasn't so well well received by a vocal minority of people who listened to it and were expecting a good Kid mass City. But nonetheless, those are my reasons for why I feel that Kendrick Lamar should be placed within the conversation of greatest of all time, where does he rank? I'm not necessarily sure. I'd have to do a more concise breakdown as to who, as to where he would rank in that upper echelon. But what do you guys think? Should he be in the conversation for greatest of all time? If so, where does he rank in your eyes? Either way, let me know on all social media platforms at Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts. After the break, our main topic of the evening, we are going to talk about Wesley... Or not Wesley Snipes. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about him, but more specifically, we're going to talk about Mahershala Ali and his role as this generation's blade. So keep it locked. This is Cool Radio, and we will be right back. Uh, yeah. Cool. cool. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. Before I get started uh, on on to the next segment, I want to give a big shout out to my man uh, Curtis Lawrence, who is the head of the blog Live in the Six, a blog that I partner with. Uh, They do a lot of great work as far as exposing what's happening in the city, from lifestyle to entertainment, sports, and everything in between. So make sure you go check out that blog. I'm a contributor to that blog as well. Um, It's a lot of great content if you want to find out what's happening in the city, as well as uh, a few people's opinions on. Those, uh, um, those ta- categories I just mentioned Pardon me So again, liveandhe6.com is a great blog Check it out, okay? And also, before we get on to the main topic Just a few things I wanted to add, in, uh, add into that Kendrick-, Kendrick Lamar conversation that we were having that I forgot to mention in the segment um, His album, Damn All songs, all, what, 16 or 17 songs That were on that album charted on the Billboard 200, a feat that's only been accomplished by Drake, uh, as far as hip hop is concerned, including uh, peaking at number four was DNA, and peaking at number one was Humble. So again, a record that only that he only shares with Drake. So that's that's huge. So that's one thing. And then another thing I wanted to mention as well is the fact that he brought like rap beef back into hip hop, so to speak. So. We all remember the control verse that he dropped on Big Sean's uh, Big Sean's record, and he had the entire hip hop industry buzzing and talking about it to the point where every rapper that wasn't mentioned on that record made a response track. Papoose, uh Ortiz, uh, King. Oh man, there's a lot of people who who made response tracks to that, but it got people talking. It made people want to be more competitive in hip hop again because up until that point there weren't people who were actively going into the beef route as far as like the mainstream uh, landscape was concerned. Everyone was either more concerned about buddying and buddying up, which I'm not really mad at, or if there was a beef, then people would just hash it out on Twitter and be like, oh, I don't want to rap with this guy. This guy sucks. Da-da-da-da-da, Twitter fingers, right? And like that wasn't interesting. It's like, no. you have a beef with somebody, put it on wax. And basically, Kendrick Lamar said, listen, I'm friends with a lot of y'all, and I got respect for you guys. But I'm trying to go at you guys, and he went at every single person who was either on that track or people that he can that he uh, determines as his contemporary. And everyone was cool with it except Drake, and that started a cold war feud of sorts between are going to be the two biggest rappers of this generation. And to this day, we still haven't gotten anything from that, but it leaves people to speculate. And if something were to happen between these two rappers on wax, that we have that timeline to basically reference to. Like, this would be this generation's equivalent of Jay-Z versus Nas. Different circumstances, of course, because there's no baby mama involved, but nonetheless, it would be on that echelon. So those are just a few of the things that I want to mention in regards to Kendrick that I forgot to mention. Because again, there's so many things that Kendrick has contributed to within hip-hop as a whole. Especially during this time period that he's been in thus far. But anyways, that's just my take on it. Now, let's get to the main topic of tonight's proceedings. <clears throat> and that is the news of Mahershala Ali being casted to play the titular role of Blade. Now, we all found this out last week actually. Last Saturday to, to be exact when San Diego was doing its annual Comic-Con, and Marvel, of course, was in the building. So they were announcing their next slate of films and shows that they'll be putting out for the next, uh, I believe, two years, basically. So they basically announced everything that was coming out in 2020. Actually, everything from 2020... To early Yeah early 2020 so early next year Up until late 2021 So they, ain't, they didn't announce anything official Beyond 2022 So we have a handful of shows And a handful of movies that are coming out during that time period One of them that I'm most excited for Is Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings I'm also here for that Shout out to Simu Liu, uh Mississauga native who has been casted As the role of Shang-Chi That's going to be huge Um But the biggest news that came out of that was none of the big movies that were slated on their slot. But it was the final announcement that they did for the evening, which was, in fact, announcing that Mahershala Ali would play the titular role of Blade. So that is huge on so many levels because from my particular reaction to that was, holy shit, they got Mahershala Ali in the MCU. Mind you, I know he was sort of in the MCU when he played Cottonmouth and Luke Cage, but to be on or unfortunately, it wasn't part of the MCU. Like it was hinting at it, but it really wasn't a part of it because there was no reference to it in the films itself. But now that the Marvel Netflix universe is now unfortunately, you know, evaporated, basically, he is now free to play any role he wants within the MCU, and lo and behold, it is Blade, the Daywalker. And I originally said, way before this was even announced, I originally said that I don't want to see Blade as a movie in the MCU because it's going to take away the the, the rated R elements. And I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, essentially, what I wanted to see, if they are going to do you know, Blade once again, I wanted them to do it on Netflix, like they do with The Punisher and Daredevil so that it can maintain its dark and gritty edge. I wanted them to do like a Netflix series out of it. As far as who would be playing the role, I had no idea who I wanted to play the role or whatever the case may be, but I said to myself, if they are going to reprise Blade once again, then leave it for Netflix. Everything else, I don't even want to hear about it. And then they dropped the fact that Ali would be playing the role I'm like okay Sign me up I don't care if it's PG Sign me up Mahershala Ali can do no wrong I mean We're talking about two Oscars Within the last three years He's uh, He's won Or at least been nominated For Emmys As far as shows That he's been a part of And on top of that The man Just won Just uh, became An Oscar winner For uh, Best Motion Picture For The Green Book which I have my quarrels about but nonetheless he's still part of that production but also one best supporting actor for that film as well. So this guy's red hot right now. So this is how it came about in the uh, in the eyes of Kevin Feige who was the head producer of Marvel Studios. So shortly after his Oscar win uh, earlier this year, he got in touch with Kevin Feige and he said that he wanted to have a meeting with him. Now normally when it comes to the MCU it's usually Feige and the Marvel team that that goes out and seeks out these actors to play the roles that they want to have them for. So whether it was Simu, Simu Liu for Shang-Chi or whether it was Chadwick Boseman for Black Panther or Chris Evans for Captain America, whom they all wanted initially anyway, they go out and find the actors themselves. They don't necessarily take requests from actors who want to play particular roles. That's not really how they do it. However, in this scenario, when he went in for the meeting, he said... And I, by mean, by, I mean he, sorry, I uh, by he, I mean Mahershala Ali. There you go. That took a while. The man said, I want to play Blade. And Kevin Feige said, yes, of course you can play Blade. (laughs) All right. And the man also said, when Mahershala Ali calls, you answer. So, that just shows you how much cachet that Ali has in the Hollywood industry right now. And I couldn't think of a better actor to play the role of Blade. Now, while there are a lot of people who are ant and excited about this, and rightfully so, there are some people who are kind of, you know, in their feelings, I would say, and want to hang on to their nostalgia for dear life, and are saying that it should, in fact, be Wesley Snipes who should reprise the role of the Daywalker, Blade. And I say this, what, what Wesley Sipes did back in the late 90s and early 2000s for The role of Blade was phenomenal. He cemented himself as arguably the top action star in Hollywood, and easily at that point the most popular black actor in Hollywood as well. He was an A-list actor, like he did that movie, he did The Art of War, he was in a lot of production during that late 90s to early to mid 2000s period like he was on fire. And not only that but as far as the superhero community is concerned, he was the first actor to play a successful role within a ra- within a successful rated R superhero or comic book based movie. I know Spawn came out in 97 but it wasn't that successful to be honest. But with Blade, it showed that you can not only make an obscure comic book character work but you can also do it in a rated r sense and a lot of people take that for granted nowadays because now people think about deadpool or logan for example as successful rated r comic book films when in actuality blade wasn't one that started it it was blade that started it and then it spawned onto other films like the Watchmen or kick-ass to name a few but again i don't think blade gets just due because i don't think people even realize that blade was a marvel property people don't even realize that People just realized the fact that Blade came out during a time where gothic and dark colors and vampires and the supernatural was in at the time. It was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was from Dusk Till Dawn. An interview with a vampire. Like, there were so many dark-esque films that were coming out during that time. And I guess people thought that Blade was just kind of cashing in on that trend. When in actuality, it was, in fact, a Marvel property. And it's the first Marvel film to be successful at the... Sorry. It was the first Marvel film... To be released in theaters. Whereas the other ones. I think the only other one was Howard the Duck. And that was back in the 80s. But all the other ones are straight to uh, straight to VHS and what have you. So it paved the way. It paved the, it paved the groundwork. And yes, Wesley did phenomenal. As I just said. Phenomenal job at playing the Daywalker. But at the end of the day. Now that's the MCU. We have to verge into this territory. Of doing something new. With these with these characters, I mean, would we want to see uh, Tobey Maguire or or the other actor who played the Amazing Spider Man in an in MCU based Spider Man film? No, because these guys are thirty and up, and we want to tell the story of a teenage Spider Man going into his early adult years. And neither of those two look like they're you know going through puberty. So no, that's not going to work. We can't have Hugh Jackman reprise the role of Wolverine once again once the mutants get introduced into mcu no we gotta make it fresh and we gotta make it new because we can't have any correlation to any past marvel films that were done outside of the mcu umbrella and that then the same thing goes to to blade i mean we can't have wesley doing it and we can't have sticky things doing it it's gotta be a brand new act well not a brand new actor but it's gotta like a, be a new actor that hasn't been in the mcu yet or just a new actor altogether and what better person than Mahershala Ali. I mean, in the movie uh, Alita Battle Angel, he damn well near looked like Blade when he was wearing the all-black with the black sunglasses and the little smirk that he does. And he even has fangs that are already naturally built in as well. I mean, he was made for this role, in my personal opinion. He has a dark, brooding nature of himself when he plays a character with a villainous background. I mean, look at what he did with the Cottonmouth character. I mean, he had some, he had some quotables in that series, man. He's like... You like that picture of Biggie up on my wall? Yeah, everybody does. See, you got that crown, right? You know why? Because everybody wants to be the king. I mean, come on! Like, what do you say to that? So, for that man to be playing Blade within the next three or four years, give or take, is going to be amazing. And I'm very curious to see how they tie it into the MCU. And the way I see them tying it into MCU is... Most likely, what's going to happen is that may that film may come after Phase 4. It may be Phase 5, right? You want to do it while Ali is still a hot commodity within Hollywood. And with the introduction of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, that's going to be the first horror-based MCU film. So with that being said... It's going to deal with the supernatural, and that will be an interesting way of introducing Blade into the MCU because of the fact that he does, in fact, deal with the supernatural. Or it could be hinted or alluded to within the Shang-Chi film because they both have martial arts backgrounds, so that could also be a way that they can introduce that film into the MCU. But more so, I kind of see it playing out with Doctor Strange because of the fact that that deals with the supernatural. So that's going to be a good look, most definitely. Uh, On top of that, speaking of Wesley Snipes, he spoke about, you know, the reaction that people were having as far as negative is is concerned. And he let it be known on social media that he wants all the daywalkers to just chillax. And that he is happy with the MCU's direction that they're taking. And that he's happy with uh, with the choice that they made as far as the lead role is concerned, with Mahershala Ali and how he's a fan of his work. So that's great to hear. There's no animosity or anything like that whatsoever. And that potentially leaves an opening for uh, Wesley Sipes to be a part of that film in some way, shape, or form. Potentially, he, he could be Whistler. You know, Whistler was a white guy in the original films, but whistler's character isn't dependent on race it can literally be anyone anyway so if he's at least in the film to some capacity i'm happy with that because it'll be like a little homage of sorts so to speak that would be cool even if it's just a cameo i'm fine with that but just as a little way to be like hey we know what you did for us because let's be honest if it warrants for blade we may not have an mcu because it literally took so many failed projects and failed attempts from marvel to get into the Hollywood game that if this was the last straw, then we may not have an MCU. They tried Captain America in the 90s. Didn't work. They tried Fantastic Four in the 90s. Didn't work. They tried Howard the Duck in the 90s. It didn't work. And then they had those corny-ass uh, live-action series back in like the 70s and the 80s. Those didn't work at all. They had The Punisher back in 2004. Didn't work. They had The Punisher, once again, previously, I think in the late 80s or early 90s. It didn't work. Like, none of that shit worked, but Blade did. So, it's going to be interesting to see how they take that direction with that film. And, you know, going back to as far as who would be more suitable for that role, if it's not Westy Snipes or if it's not Mahershala Ali, I personally don't see anyone playing that role that well. I mean, maybe Chadwick Bozeman if he wasn't already playing um T'Challa and Black Panther, but I don't know. I think there's just a coldness about Marisha Ali whenever he plays a villainous character that you believe it. You absolutely believe it with all your heart and soul that this guy is just a brooding character that wants to get his frustration out. And I know I'll, there's a few people who say it should be it should be uh, Michael Jai White, but let's be honest, Michael Jai White is not really a commodity of sorts in Hollywood. He's a great he's a great uh, martial artist in his own right, but as far as acting is concerned, he's not on the upper echelon of, of actors who can carry a lead role in a major motion picture film. In my personal opinion, great action star, but acting it's not all the way up there, especially on, not on the level of. Of, uh, of, of Mahershala Ali So that's my take on that And then, you know, kind of going back to The topic of diversity in Hollywood And reprising roles And casting certain actors in certain roles And what have you I know uh, Last week I had a discussion about remakes Like Hollywood remakes and how sometimes Hollywood, Hollywood can be lazy and what have you This is one of those scenarios where Because Blade Was Originally tied to a different studio outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they had no control over over this property and and wanted to create a cinematic universe back then like that was unheard of back in 1998 and with now now that you have the opportunity to do so because of an established universe that's already existing. Now you can actually remake some of the properties that you never had in your own full total control and make them the way that you want to make them. So I think this would be the outlier in that discussion. So the same thing with Spider-Man, even though we've seen how many Spider-Man movies over the last 18 years or whatever, now that's actually in the hands of its original creator. Now they can create the way that Spider-Man was intended to be created. So that's one point you also have the potential of Fantastic 4 and the X-Men being created the way that they were intended to be created by its creators so we'll have that in the future and the same same thing goes for Blade you know Blade has been a popular cult commodity of sorts over the last few years especially so why not ignite that popularity once again by having one of the hottest actors in Hollywood reprise that role I think it works for everybody in that regard. And I don't think you're pandering or anything like that. I think this actually fits. This would actually stick with what Marvel is trying to do. And I think they're being consistent and being on brand with their products by making a move like this. But either way, do you guys agree that Mr. Ali himself should play the role of Blade? Should it go back to Wesley Snipes? What are your thoughts on it? Either way, let me know on social media at CC. And share your thoughts Coming up after the break We're going to get into the three hottest topics Or three of the hottest topics That took over pop culture So keep it locked This is Cool Radio And we will be right back Yeah Cool Cool. Uh, Yes, yes, y'all Welcome back to the show Once again, it's your man DM Cool And welcome back to Cool Radio Now let's get into Trip Talk Three topics that took place within hip-hop and pop culture So let's get into it So the first one comes by way of Nas Now Nas was doing an appearance on the uh, Drinking Chance podcast with Noriega uh, To talk about the release of his Lost Tapes Part 2 album that came out last week actually It's a pretty good listen if you want to go and tune in Basically a compilation of songs that weren't released during the time period where he was recording um, uh, what's it called, Life is Good, and a few other uh, projects as well. So anyways, so during the conversation, they were talking about Prince and how when he first met Prince and how he wanted to uh, collaborate with him on a future project, like on a song or whatever the case may be. However, he details in that discussion that he was actually turned down by Prince, mainly because of the fact that Prince asked him if he owned his master's To which Nas said, no, I owe the label about four or five more albums. And then to which Prince replied and said, when you own your masters, let's have a chat. So suffice to say, he didn't collaborate with Prince. But from what he took from it, he got a lot of life lessons from talking to Prince at that moment, as well as maintaining a relationship with him after the fact. He said how he's a really cool guy. They talked so much about life and music and arts and everything in between and how he kind of comes across as having a an intimidating persona because of how he's turned down artists in the past including michael jackson to name a few so he talked about how you know most people would take that moment as a sign of rejection and how they would kind of feel inadequate at that moment in time but he took it as a growing and teaching moment that in order to be successful in the music industry you have to take agency and ownership over what's rightfully yours, which is your music and your masters and your publishing. Because without those, then you just become a tool of the industry. You become somewhat a slave to your, to your label and that they'll always have you under the thumb. If you don't have any, a type of ownership over the work that you've put in over the years. So I thought that was a great moment that not nah shared. And I think he's, I think Prince is 100% right about that. I mean, Master P was I believe the first rapper to own his masters? You had Ray Charles, you uh, owned his masters. Like so many people have taken the time to either own their masters right out the gate, or they bought their masters from from their record label. I think Jay Z bought his masters from Rockefeller, so now he owns that owns all of that altogether. So that that was a huge teaching moment for Nas, who is now a veteran in today's game, and I think that's a lesson that a lot of rappers going forward should learn. It's not just about You know, F-hoes get money. You know, look all the ice down rocking. No, put that money towards saving up to buy your masters from your label right off the bat. Or negotiate a deal in which you own your masters and your publishing right out the gate so that you won't be under anyone's thumb. And I think that's the message that Nas was trying to get across by telling that story. And I agree 100%. But either way, do you agree? Do you disagree? Let me know what your thoughts are. Hit me up on social media at Cool Radio CC. Now, let's get into Meek Mill. So Meek Mill... It was made news today or this week, rather, I should say, that his 2008 conviction has been overturned uh, by a Philadelphia judge, meaning that all the charges that he accumulated in 2008 have now been dropped. So he's no longer on probation because he's been under probation for the last 10 or 11 years now. But because that case uh, or, or those charges have been dropped, he's now free under probation. He's essentially a free man in the eyes of the law. So I'll say this, and you guys already know how I feel about Meek Mill. In case you don't know how I feel, I'm not the biggest fan of him. Um, I,
1: hmm,
0: I hope this is a teaching moment for him. Like I hope this entire ordeal, as a whole, over the last what a year, two years now, is a teaching moment. Even though it was wrong what the law did to him, as far as you know, wrongfully you know charging him for all all those petty crimes or what have you. Even though all of that is wrong, I think you, I think people like Meek in his position need to learn how to act accordingly, not act accordingly, sorry, they need to know how to move when they, when they are high pro- profile celebrities and targets within pop culture. Because of the fact that you are a rapper and you talk about a lot of aggressive content within your music, people will always use that against you. I'm not saying that's right, I'm just saying that those are the facts. And I feel as though during that time, he wasn't moving smart. Like, you had people around him like Rick Ross, you could have learned game off of, but like, they, I don't know if he was giving him the right game, but either way, nobody was giving him, either nobody was giving him proper information, or he wasn't listening to anyone. He's still cocky as ever, you know, riding through Philly with his role league. You already know how that goes. I hope this entire ordeal, like, it smartens him up. And I know he's been rolling with Jay Z now, and he's been like the face of prison reform now. And, What I hope is that he's actually sincere about it and that he's not using this as some sort of a come-up because of the fact that people know that social justice is what's in right now. I hope that's not the case. I hope he's actually sincere about that because that is some serious stuff that people go through within inner-city communities all across the world, all across the world, let alone America, and that this is not something to play around with. This is serious. This is real life. So I hope this new stance position that he's taking right now I hope it's sincere. I It better not be a fad because that's a fad and a shame on him for that. So I'm still a little bit worried about that when it comes to Meek Mill. As far as the music goes, it is what it is. I mean, I'm not a Meek Mill fan. I don't think he's that great of a rapper, but that's just my personal opinion. But, again, going forward, I hope he learns how to move smarter going forward. That's just my personal take on that. But, anyways, what do you guys think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Again, hit me up on social media at Cool Radio CC. I was going to get to the final topic of Trip Talk, but I'm going to skip that. I'm going to jump straight into the Wankster of the Week. So, with that being said, it is time for Wankster of the Week.
1: You were wankster, you need to
0: stop and this week's Wankster of the Week, originally, ironically enough, was going to go to Ja Rule and 50 Cent, but I'm going to give them the pass this week. However... The person, or the people rather, who are not getting the the uh, the pass, but instead are getting the full wankster, will be Monique and her boo Sydney, aka Daddy. Now they're getting the wankster of the week because they are continuing their their smear campaign of Charlemagne the God, and they did so this week by appearing on different multimedia platforms to discuss the ire for Charlemagne and how he's a plague to the black community and how he shouldn't be revered, uh, revered as a leader of sorts, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So, there's about three clips that I want to play for you. I'm going to play them for you. So, this first clip is Monique talking about how Charlemagne is a plague to the black community. And it goes a little something like this.
1: A big conversation now about mental illness in our community. and um, Charlemagne the God, he's one of the People that try to advocate it constantly. I I won't even accept that. (laughs) Stop it, Lenard, You're advocating for mental health. He's big on that. That's his thing. Mm. I've seen and heard the destruction that that brother has done in our community. Mm. I've heard the poison Mm. that he's pulled out over that air Mm. in our community. Now, everyone's allowed to change. But I think that the only way we make change in our community is at first acknowledge we were part of the damage. (sighs)
0: Okay. That was a lot. A poison to the black community. Crack cocaine was a poison to the black community. Heroin was a poison to the black community. Gun violence, a poison to the black community. Tyler Perry movies, a poison to the black community. Steve Harvey, a poison to the black community. But Charlamagne the God nah sis I can't get with you on that so let's move on uh, to the rest of the clips so this one now is detailing the thoughts of her boo uh, Sydney aka daddy as far as his lack of empathy in regards to Charlemagne the God so let's uh, take a listen shall we level
1: of perpetuation of fame and a lack of empathy that I've seen him indulge in when I watched You know, obviously, Monique's interview. When you see him having the interview with Kanye, that man invites him out to his home. Then, after interviewing with him, he's donkey of the day. There's a lack of empathy that this man gives to the community. So, if you're an advocate for it, then that means you remove donkey of the day and you understand that people make mistakes.
0: So, he lacks empathy because of his donkey of the day segment that happens to be a comedic segment? Operative word comedic as in comedy, as in comedian, the profession that your wife is in, the profession that your wife has made money off of for the last 20 or 30 years now, the same profession that she has used to roast other celebrities and other people in general in her profession. There was actually one time when she said a joke to somebody saying how you're so ugly that when your mama had you, she had morning sickness after you were born. Last time I checked, that doesn't seem empathetic at all to say the least. No, not at all. So why should Charlamagne show empathy in a segment that is regarded for the purpose of comedy? And yes, he did have... Uh, he did he wasn't guessing Kanye's home for the interview, but Kanye only wanted to do the interview in his home. And on top of that, he did deserve the donkey of the day because he said slavery was a choice for black people. But anyways, let's continue on. So the final clip that I have for you is in regards to Sydney claiming that, you know, people see Charlemagne the God as an authority figure and that he shouldn't be regarded as such. So let's take a listen to that, shall we?
1: There's a level of consideration for people that I haven't seen him give because it's more about ratings, it would appear. There's a coarseness to his energy. There's um, a lack of connect to his people. And it's odd to me when I hear people and see him on CNN and they talking to him as if he's some authority, he hasn't had the tenure in this life to have the authority because when you are an authority on dealing with people, that same authority is accompanied by empathy.
0: <sighs> this guy's reachingly Mr. Fantastic right now. Charlemagne the God is not an authority on black people. He is a culture critic. He is a tastemaker within the world of media. He comments on what he sees in media as far as entertainment goes, politics, sociopolitical stuff, you name it. All he does is critiques it and he gives his own unadulterated take on it. That's what he does. And Charlemagne doesn't prove to be perfect. In fact, he's probably one of the most transparent personalities that we have in media right now. He is so open to discussing all of his faults that he committed when he was younger and while he was in the industry and up until now. He actually me too himself before anyone else could. And the and the details of that were basically led to him not having any wrongdoing at any part whatsoever. But he still gave out his condol or not condoles, but his empathy and his apologies to anyone who may have viewed him as anything but So either way, he is somebody who is accountable for her actions. You know who isn't accountable for the actions? Monique. Because at the end of the day, she has been parading about how – you Know this, uh, how Netflix is racist, and how we should all boycott uh, Netflix because they won't give her the payday that she feels she's entitled to. Listen, if you want to ask for more money from Netflix, that's fine, but don't say that their races are ininclusive because they didn't give you the payday that you're looking for. They have had so many talented comedians of different races, they, they have they've had the Iglesias, the uh, comedian, the 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 relatively large uh, uh, Puerto Rican comedian. They had Ali Wong uh, do stand-up specials. They've had Amy Schumer do stand-up specials, Dave Chappelle, et cetera, et cetera. They've been very diverse with whom they've been giving comedy specials to. And yes, you want to call yourself the most accomplished actress or what have you, but at the end of the day, that isn't going to give you a Netflix special because they're not looking for, they're not looking at your Oscar win because your Oscar win came from a dramatic role. They want to see what you can bring in the comedy realm. And what you should do is or what you should have done, rather, is you should have taken that 500 k do a special, prove that you have that drawing power so that you can go back to Netflix and renegotiate a contract for more money. This is literally what NBA players do when they sign contracts with teams nowadays. They do one plus one deals. This is literally what Robert Downey Jr. did when he got the Iron Man role. He made 500 k off of, off of the first one, and the second one, he made $10 million because he brought it home. That's what you should have done, but no, now you want to go on this pity party and blame everybody but yourself for the failings of your career maybe if you had spent so much time on shitting on Oprah Winfrey and Tyler Perry and Lee Daniels and blackballing yourself in the process that you'd actually be somewhere but no you are on a pity party tour with your bullshit excuse of a husband saying oh it's everyone's fault except mine bitch please look at yourself in the mirror and know that it's you who put yourself in this predicament and not Charlamagne Leonard the God So for that, you deserve the Wankster of the Week, and you deserve it so much. And if you want to call me me being against my people because I don't agree with what you're saying, then please, you're not for your people at all. You're just using this as a come up because you know that social justice is what's in right now, and that's what's making you relevant. Otherwise, no one will be hearing about a damn thing that you're doing right now. So I'm about to drop it on you just like this, boo. Real talk. And with that, I didn't expect to get that heated off of it. But with that said, it's time to end the show. want to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Tune in next week. I will have a guest in studio. I will keep you guys up to date with that. And as you already know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment reminding you that we are creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.